0: You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Hello and welcome to Drinks With God, a podcast about alternative theological experiences, death, and life. All of the following content is based on each interviewee's own personal experiences and is meant to be educational, not confrontational. sit for a minute or two watch this world so today we're going to be taking a look at probably my favorite book by ram das it's called grist for the mill and one reason why i always particularly suggest that people look at this book uh even though it's not the first he wrote i definitely think it's the most approachable uh not just his own personal philosophies but to the idea of applicable philosophy the idea that this isn't just something that you read in a book and it's not something that you occasionally would use this is something that you should uh carry with you and th- use as a frame of reference for everything and that you come across in um every single part of your life the book itself is mostly dealing with the idea of the problem of wanting to want God or wanting to want enlightenment, as he actually puts it. He, uh, Ramdas says, we were living in a culture in which man ruled nature within obvious boundaries, and we were so addicted to the rational mind and its power that we assumed we could think our way out of any predicament we could figure out a new way to be through our thoughts and through our doing. But the predicament is that enlightenment is not an achievement. Enlightenment is a transformation of being. Later on, uh, kind of getting more to the point in the same subject, which I love how he does. He talks about something in a very... Not quite lofty terms, but very philosophical terms, then he tries to get very uh one on one with you about it. The way he writes for all that people put point to Ramdas as being the guru for uh any modern student of philosophy or religion to take note of. He's a very down to earth writer. He uh clarifies his point a bit later saying In the middle of your main course, you're already thinking about what you'll have for dessert. The way you deal with the game is by constantly keeping things going by fast, like a sleight-of-hand trick. Rush after rush after rush. But it's like building a house out of sand. You can't stop because it gets a little frightening if you stop. If those spaces get too big, there's depression, confusion, disorientation, anger, loneliness, self-pity, unworthiness. Now let's pause a minute on that... Desperately wanting to want God on that wanting to want enlightenment Because it's very important It's the reason that I brought up this particular book And uh, the reason why I wanted to for quite a while Anyone who is a student of philosophy or religion or who claims to be Seems to think that that is supposed to be the sole occupation or that is supposed to be a pursuit that overshadows anything else. If you look at the writings of anyone who is a revered thinker, whether it is from a specific sect or just philosophy in general, you'll find that either they had at least one other major occupation during their lifetime, and that their writing was something they did privately, or unsuccessfully, and just pursued anyway. Which, uh, of course, is the tragic mark of many writers in general. Or, you'll find that philosophy was something that they did passively, and they were living actively. The whole purpose of philosophy is that it is supposed to be a tool. Religion is supposed to be a tool by which one lives. If you are a student of philosophy or religion, according to all the writers and all of the figures which are lauded by these students, which take themselves so, so seriously, it is supposed to be a study that is done contemplatively, that is done Of the byproduct of living well, of doing your job well, of having done your relationships properly, and of actively moving through life meaningfully. Your sole occupation isn't to sit there and think if you're a philosopher. It is to be actively aware and finding meaning in everything you are doing. The best philosopher be anyone in any job, they just have to be fully present in the moment and have not just the critical thinking skills to be comparing their situation to other things that they've read and other situations that other people would be in, but would have to be taking the time to look deeper into what they're doing on top of doing what they're doing well. You can't just be there daydreaming. If you're a philosophy student, you kind of have to be a double major. And uh, this isn't just me criticizing, oh, what is what is the purpose of philosophy? What are you going to do with that degree? That's not what this rant is about. Everyone who points to Ram Das I think, very much misses the point of why he is such a fantastic person to look at as a historical figure, as a celebrity, as a person among celebrities, like, who he was in his own time. Like, he would, you know, he would rent out little shabby motel rooms, and or he'd be put up at the Ritz, or he'd be hanging out at John Lennon's house, and people of all ranks and files would come and flock to him and hang out with him. And it was because of how he viewed each individual person and himself in the grand scheme of things, as well as how down-to-earth he was in what he was supposed to be doing each and every step of the way. And that very much comes through in his writing. He wasn't... I don't think he would have called himself a philosopher. I don't think he would have called himself a religious figure. I think he would have called himself, you know, just a guy. If anything, I think it would have identified far more with the dude than Gandhi. A bit later, he continues, You, in fact, are the center of the universe, which have been designed perfectly in order to awaken you out of the illusion, and that every experience you have is equally valid as grift for the mill of awakening. Your whole incarnation is the teaching. And I think a very good point that he makes in this book is that there is no one right way to go about self-discovery because each person is an individual. Everybody's own personal journey into enlightenment, whether it's just coming to terms with events that just happened to you or trying to wrestle with big questions like uh, the whole why are we... Here, a question that every philosophy student decides to try and tackle in some thesis at some point. But the main point of all that is no one person can be correct for every person because everybody's got their own journey to go on. Although, that in and of itself, realizing that you're not going to be correct is part of the journey. He says, If you make a mistake, admit it, and get on with it. Don't cover your errors. The whole spiritual journey is a continuous following on your face. And you get up, and brush yourself off, and you get on with it. If you were perfect, you wouldn't even go on a journey. Don't be afraid of making errors. Something that always particularly struck me whenever I read Ram Dass' works were, and this is coming from somebody reading Ram Dass' work a couple decades after they were written, so... It's a little more striking to me, perhaps, how much of a Christian bent his philosophy has. Even though many people point to him as the Western voice for a lot of Eastern thought. Which is, honestly, a bit of a trite way to put it. He had a very Indian philosophy framework for his Western views. While there are some really fantastic points here, which are universal to several different religions, he does, in fact, come at this as a middle-class white male from America and brings it back to a place where it can be used to people of his time and of his place. I still find a lot really usable and really inspirational from what he wrote. But it's really fascinating to see how it comes from a specific time and place. Though he does make some great observations looking at Christianity through this new lens. For example, he writes, The sacrifice that Christ made is not in the crucifixion. The chance for a conscious being to leave his body is bliss. The sacrifice was leaving the Father in the first place and becoming the Son. That bit of uh, That bit of insight into Western religions actually comes from the idea of how one can use Eastern thought in one's own daily suffering. He does talk about the idea of suffering being grace, about how everything, from an objective viewpoint, is just another step forward towards coming to terms with yourself and getting closer to enlightenment there's a very specific agenda here, but no one picks up Ram Das expecting a lukewarm self-help book. You pick it up because you want to have some sort of hard-hitting, eye-opening philosophy given to you f- through the lens of the Buddhism-obsessed 60s. And he does definitely make a point, since uh Risk for the Mill was written, I believe in the early 70s, um, He even writes, During the 60s, we were confused between internal freedom and external freedom, between revolution and evolution, because we didn't have models in our heads that would allow us to appreciate the grandiosity of the change that we were undergoing. So we kept reducing its implications and seeing it as a social, psychological, or political change. So even there, right in the face of whoever has picked up the book looking for something specific, he tries to let you know that there is a deeper, more universal, and definitely uncomplicated answer to all the questions people tend to ask when they're going to pick up a book like this. He even says, There is a statement that appears in the Gospels which states that men need not disfigure their faces to know God. There is a type of righteousness and seriousness that creeps in the minute you decide you're going to do spiritual practices, where suddenly it's serious work and you have to be a kind of way. Sort of tight-assed. You may find that, though it looks good from the outside, it begins to feel kind of lousy from the inside. But they aren't liberated, because they have pushed away form, they've pushed away the earth, they've pushed away the heart, they've pushed away the flow. He writes, For to explore beyond this world is a bit like stepping off into the void. It's like diving off a diving board when you're afraid of diving. When you're reading any book by Ram Dass, but particularly *Grist for the Mill. He really does take pains to try and take you by the hand and show you that this isn't a scary, serious business, trying to dip your toe into philosophy or even trying to answer any big, scary questions about you know life, death, the universe, and everything. That it's a very human experience, and in fact, we don't need to ward it off in some sort of sacred get-up and make it seem unknowable and untouchable which is part of why I love his work so much. Ram Dass really does put it best when he says, Somewhere I remember the line that goes, the angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. People tend to get very lost in their own melodrama, romanticizing their own spiritual journey. I am going to God. And they tend to take themselves very seriously. They've got themselves a storyline. And they begin to look like yogis, and they they begin to smell like yogis, and they come on as they imagine yogis would, and they have a whole image of themselves becoming yogis. That's all going to have to go. You come back into the moment, the present moment. You are what you are. You let go of the romantic storyline of your own predicament, because that's one's just keeping you from being whatever you really are at the moment. It's self-consciousness. And that paradox of getting so caught up in trying to become a philosopher that one stops asking the questions and doing the actual experiencing and thinking is something that I, that I think more and more philosophers up to the 60s were getting away from, which is why you suddenly see writers like Ram Dass, um kind of making this point. I think he does it the best because he's not up his own ass about it. And that's entirely likely the whole reason why so many people were drawn to him as a person and as a spiritual teacher. But what I think is so fantastic about him and so fantastic about this book in particular is that he is speaking directly to the audience, not just about the ways and means to enlightenment, but also the common pitfalls that come with thinking you are going to become enlightened, with the whole idea of pursuing enlightenment and how that in and of itself can become you clinging too hard to things as you're trying to shed that whole idea of clinging, which is going to be the crux of a whole lot of meditative practices, a whole lot of assumed holiness, and a whole lot of just spiritual journeys. Is just the letting go of possessions and objects and emotion, which is going to as Ramdas points out, create a lot of people who get so caught up in the idea of I'm going to do this, I'm doing this, that you forget to be there. That you overlook what the purposes of things and emotions and attachment and relationships are. And that's not something to keep with you forever, but just a step along the journey. And he's very rational about it, and he's very eloquent about it. Just as he says... This isn't a moral issue at all. So that if you can hear and be honest with yourself, you'll know when you are done and when you are not done, and when one desire system is stronger than another. Just be straight with yourself. There are many horny celibates who are going to psychiatrists. Later on, he further clarifies the point. You can sit in a temple or a cave in India and get so horny, so clear and radiant, the light is pouring out of you. But when you come out of that cave, when you leave that supportive structure which worked with your strength but seldom confronted you with your weaknesses, your old habit patterns tend to reappear, and you come back into the same old games, the game which you were sure you had finished with. And this is really, in many ways, the crux of the issue a lot of people who suddenly turn to religion or suddenly become incredibly philosophically or spiritually aware, they do so because they're trying to get away from something within themselves by looking at something outside of themselves, which a lot of self-help books try to capitalize on and which a lot of, you know, snake oil salesmen would historically capitalize on. But if you look at writers like Ram Das, you'll see that they say, no, 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 look at yourself, look at what you've always been doing. Who are you as a person? What don't you like about yourself? What kind of journey are you on? How can you change it if you don't think it's a good one? Which I think is a very viable point. That whole needing to try religion, that whole needing to tackle these spiritual questions, they often come out of a need to fix something bad within oneself or about oneself, one's own situation. If that's the reason that you're turning to religion, you're not actually addressing the problem. All you're doing is looking for a band-aid and the wound is still going to be there if you don't stitch it up, if you don't try and actually heal it. But the whole problem with going on a philosophical journey or going on a spiritual journey or going out to find oneself and forgetting how to actually live in your day-to-day life and live with yourself as a person and work on who you are as a person as opposed to just being a more self-aware actively spiritual version of who you are in your already established day-to-day life is that you're abandoning and cutting off your relationships instead of just the toxic ones and you're not nurturing the ones around you. A big part of religion and why it works and how it works and how it's supposed to have always worked is a sense of community and a sense of creating a society of people who are all tackling big questions together. Why we're here, what happens after we die, how do we all band together in the face of the unknown? That is what religion was originally for, and what it's about, and why uh, universal concepts like God came about. To, again, quote Ram Dass... It's not that God is dead. It's just that God is not a fiable hip concept anymore. Do you know what I mean when I, say? I look